and so they bit into it into that seed of desire and that's a proverbial fall from heaven where all of a sudden you have Adam and Eve looking down and becoming aware of their vulnerability becoming aware of their nakedness becoming aware of their individuality what is this? What's, what, what's going on? what have I done? all of a sudden there is this separation from the rest of the world where now there is this questioning voice inside your head you've literally awoken to something and that awakening itself casts you out of that cocoon that awakening basically just excludes you from that place of safety you could quite literally equate that to a child falling from the womb of his mother the safest place in the world He's just falling into this messy, loud, cruel, overwhelming world. The story of Adam and Eve, yes, you could think of it as, oh, there's a guy named God who made a guy named Adam, and then there was a rib, and then there was Eve, and then that's the very biblical version, of course. But trying to deep dive those stories are you, a bit more. Are, are, are we not saying that this is, maybe this is a straw man version of a practical story, but... There is a scenario where you can give a practical narrative that doesn't cheapen the story itself. Absolutely Because true. it is not untrue, necessarily, that there is a God and a created man as Adam. And there was a moment in time where you can manifest the story as is into the natural evolutionary processes. No, definitely true. Definitely true. So I am strong. it's not strong. untrue. Like, maybe the, how many Abrahamic people tell you the story is silly but that doesn't mean that the narrative is silly or it's not some straw man version there's a possibility of the silly version you hear it's like god it's like clay and he did this and he shaped a man and then broke a rib there's there's there might be a better framing Mm -hmm. of the story Mm -hmm. to align but it's still a true Thing to say God made Adam. Like that narrative right. could possibly still be true. So I'm, I'm definitely embodying the more modern take that maybe that people our age would naturally be inclined to taking, which is not knowing those myths in depth, but never really having giving them a chance. Typically you have people go going through life and then they rebel against the status quo that is given to them by their parents, if any, really, religiously speaking. But then we never give it another thought. We hold on to arguments we had when we were 14, when we rejected these principles and these stories and these codes and these laws, and we never really gave them another thought. So a lot of our arguments against, the arguments demeaning not just scripture, but all the myths, even outside of scripture, are, are very immature because they come from that rebellious state. Certainly, yeah, the argument that we are trying to make is that those texts, those stories that we've been telling for thousands and thousands of years are relevant in so many ways. I brought up the psychological element of the awakening of the entity that is the I. The person, what I'm thinking of when I say I, I believe, who is that? Who's that I? Yourself, your story. That awakening is one way to look at 
Adam and Eve, but you could certainly explore the evolutionary element, or even the Are they any different? No, but Why you could focus different? on... It, it's, they're not quite different, but you could focus on a biological... Maybe I wanted to emphasize biological Individualistic element. versus a human story. The story of human and how human came to be mm. is... Human as in Homo sapiens, or... Human as in us, Human as in well, human. Well, you can, you can relate it as to in homo. homo. Human okay. as in Homo. It doesn't really matter where you draw sure. the point of singularity, because you can... But it's, it's pre-Homo sapiens. It's one line that... It's, I'm sure when we talk about the singularity of the technological world, the AGI, when the computer wakes up, mm. it's, it's not going to be, perhaps, a moment, like, like a moment that happens. There's a gray area. What is it's like, like the ice age that I was telling you about? It's not overnight, but it, yeah, in hindsight, it seems. If you think like of life and when life happened in this world, it's not one setting. Okay, if you put it here, what what did proto life look like? What did the couple of thousand years before that overnight moment look like? Were they arbitrary? Pretty much indistinguishable from that moment. So it's going to be a gray area. And when a human, if you look at the individual, when you actually start with the I think, when ego crystallizes the moment where that awakening when a baby wakes up it happens like a few years after you wake up you don't wake up with it and when when that moment happens isn't also overnight it's i don't know maybe between three to seven but you can make an argument that it's three it's one line that grows exponentially i like your your analogy of the flickering light for that awakening it's, it's not off and it's not on but there are here and there flickers that of illumination quote-unquote but of just this entity that wakes up and is takes a snapshot of the world and then goes back to sleep until it's fully on and even that element isn't right like sentience started with consciousness as a very simplistic thing the net the need to be aware of your surroundings and process data right collect data and process it through the natural evolutionary process sentience is a, is a variable there like a primate has maybe it's not lights of awareness flickering but there is some primitive level of sentience just like there is some primitive level of consciousness and the lights flickering could be around what you would call adam or adam can be pointed to the first entity where lights just completely flicker but the lights flickering is also a gray area the first entity that went out of its cocoon and it came back, it's like light flickers, and it came back. It comes, it, it ventures slightly, in a way, and it comes back into its cocoon. Mm -hmm. And perhaps the individual is the same way. The awakening comes out, it's nice to imagine how it would be the sound. Yeah. You come back to non, to full self, the unity, the wholeness that Jung talks about. And again, going back to the idea of these stories applying on not just many levels, but for all intents and purposes, on all levels, where the story of Adam and Eve, for instance, that was again an arbitrary choice to just single out that myth, maybe because we're all so familiar with it, it's so deeply ingrained, the apple and the thing and Satan, but arbitrarily chosen, you take that myth and that, okay, I can understand it from an evolutionary standpoint, from the, the evolution of life into mankind to again my birth and my coming of age as an individual just you could extrapolate it and individuate it as much as you want 
and it just applies and it works throughout your own life, throughout your lineage, throughout your species, throughout this bigger thing that we're all part of, the seed of life, that one seed that we are all an offshoot of. It applies on all those levels. Yeah, I guess the point is to not retell these stories, just tell them again more than retelling them. But hope that we can keep an open mind about what these stories are trying to tell us. And it has to start with allowing for the idea that they have some value. Allowing for the idea that if they survive for so long, if we're, we've been telling them for so long, there is value to them. And do away with the modern arrogance of knowledge, the modern arrogance of, yeah, that's when we were stupid and didn't understand anything about the world, now we have science, or you, any insert anything that we can overlay as a superior way of looking at the world. There is not one way of looking at the world. And there is certainly no way that is actually fully true. So it's all ever an interpretation. And going back to the idea that you are not seeing the world as it is. You are seeing the world as you are. Seeing the world is, by definition, reality is by definition a relationship. It's not something that you're sitting here and it's happening in front of you and you're like, oh yeah, this is factually, this is what's going on. The way I see color, the way I see light, the way I experience shapes and textures, that's all relative to me. It's relative to my evolution, to my experience, to my, my physicality, my senses, like all of these things that have directly shaped how I perceive the world. As opposed to what exactly your suggestion that you are a variable to your story. So it's a relationship to, as to a, reality in general. Like maybe the way reality is shaped, you have a say in it. There's I don't know, fifty fifty. But you have as much say in it as it has in you. Is that not the case? Or is it a hundred percent? Your variable is the no, biggest no, you're coefficient. You're right. Has the biggest coefficient or I think that the best way I can say this is that you are both cause and consequence. That you are it's a bit of a it's a bit of this. Most people don't buy that narrative. Do most people believe it's closer to I have no say, I'm not a variable? I think or that intuitively, if I before I ever started thinking about those things, I was living under the assumption. Never really to light, it's a, it's an assumption, so it's underneath the surface. I was living under the assumption that there is almost like a film as in a video playing in front of me and I'm just witnessing it's playing and that okay I could at any point pause it and say this is what this is fact this is what's happening there is such thing as objectively pinpointing a moment in time and describing it as it is outside of my own experience it's a bit of the the eastern story of the elephant every person touches the elephant and they're blinded and they just describe something completely different it reminds me a bit of that but sure. i think we're all under we are all naturally under the assumption that we are seeing reality as it is and that's part of the illusion of that story that's repeated so often 
that the story creates. The illusion that the story creates is that this is it. It's not a story. Sorry for the billions of people who are watching and got interrupted. So we were wrapping up a thought on this underlying assumption that we all have that the story we're telling ourselves either don't doesn't even exist to begin with or is a faithful reproduction of you wanted to say something about Baudelaire though. so I just wanted to contextualize it and the story being invisible to us is what Baudelaire was talking about when he said that the greatest trick the devil has ever played is to make us believe that he does not exist is that there is a way in which those processes that narrative is quite invisible to us making it quite a potent quote-unquote enemy so here I'm equating the story to Satan it's not a one-to-one -one, but there is some relationship between those two that we will explore as we go like the relationship between ego which is that entity that we refer to as the I we didn't mention ego but we didn't quite define it and the scriptural satanic God tempting entity that we described that has been described in so many in so many philosophies that is inevitable in a variable that is sentience in a in life is it not is there no that that you also human haven't defined sentience. singularity you also haven't defined singularity yeah but it's so it's data processing so i like this the fact that we are inching closer to a technological complexity that sparks the question of what if because it could be like we always thought intelligence is tied to life for a long time all our ancestors all monkeys out there and all zebras they thought intelligence is only tied to life. I don't think the zebras thought anything I don't know primitively but with the advancement of computing we understood that intelligence in the form of data processing is possible outside of life. It's intelligence is a part of a, of it could be a part of sentience, but it doesn't have to be part of consciousness. It doesn't have to be part of life. Perhaps it does, but it could just be if computers can wake up. It could be that. Intelligence that wakes up, or sentience that wakes up, isn't tied to consciousness. It's a matter of just data processing increasing complexity. Mm -hmm. In the sense of sentience being data processing, we know that's what that's what we have. Life needed the capability to first of all gather data from its surroundings efficiently, and process that data efficiently and effectively to. Through this input, you react to stimuli and produce an output that increases your chances of survival and perhaps thrival. Efficiently is such a great word that you're using because it's so crucial to understand what comes, what the cost is of efficiency. Because I don't have unlimited resources, I'm constantly in a place where, I mean, I can't even say I at this point because those are underlying processes. But your brain has to constantly trim excess data, what it considers being excess data, unchanging data, irrelevant data, 
anything that really is not directly related to your survival first and then other values and priorities later. But primordially, anything that's not related to your direct survival can be just a background blur. So that, again, even the way we perceive color, the thing, the way we approach and perceive obstacles, the way we approach the world in general, there's huge compression, there's huge oversimplification. And that's not really what the world is, is how you need it to perceive the world in order to survive. The way you perceive the world is how you have needed it to perceive. It's how you have needed to perceive it in order to remain alive. You yourself are cursed to. If you continually process data, then you become more inefficient because you need you co you constantly need to patch up your story to make sense of it. So to patch up the story, you need to think about something that makes sense to you. The more awake you are, the more alive you are, the more aware of this, of your surroundings you are, you need more data to be more aware. You're, it's more straining on the system to be more aware. Uh, and that is going to lead to your demise. And to your it doesn't increase your, it decreases your chances of survival. And this is the question of ego. If it's simply tied to information processing that is necessary in this natural evolutionary design, then is it inevitable that you're going to get to a point where complexity increases through a span of a few billion years? And you get to a point where complexity is at a, has crossed a milestone of atom, of an entity. We know it happened. We know it happened. Sometime between primates and us, there is a moment, there is a time, not a moment that is overnight, perhaps. There is a time frame in which an entity woke up with these inner whispers. It doesn't come from how you're used to producing your stories. If you're so used to being in concretized mm. in this veiled space that we're in. And we have to, this brings up the issue of language because language is a process that is deeply related to that awakening that we're talking about that sentience that we're talking about because now that I'm a separate individual to some extent I have to relay something to you like there has to be an active way I could relay something to you because I'm aware now that I have something inside of my head that you don't know so language is very closely tied to this ego birth if you will and for that reason communication is language Language. What do you mean by language? So that language as in the English language and the French language. language. as in human language. Human. Okay. Language. Human because language. language isn't necessarily tied to human, is it? That's a whole thing that I don't think I want to get into right now. But, but we can but we can differentiate between more primitive types of communication and contrast that with the complexity of human language. We can always do that, even with sentience, even with consciousness. Exactly. I mean, we could talk about it on different levels. Maybe you can, I could, maybe just say, okay, everybody has language. That's not quite true. There are communication methods that are beyond language, that are Do ants have a language? I, I don't know if I would call pheromone communication a language. Why? Then what is the, the I, language? I don't know what the threshold is. Are letters necessary in a language? I, I don't know. I, I don't Sounds think it's are. necessarily 
And the form of communication that ants have is perhaps better than our form of communication. Yeah, but we Maybe. have pheromone communication. We don't call that language yeah, because we have something on top of it so that we call language. Yeah, but isn't that a better form of language had we been more well, what theoretically? Well, what, what, we, what we traditionally refer to as body language, we, in the word itself, we acknowledge that it's some language. But we do understand that it's on a different level than what I can relate to you in a more directed in a more precise and in a more voluntary way. In a more long distance, perhaps? In a more, <laughs> more tele. I can't send a WhatsApp message on, about my pheromones. I don't know, yeah. Maybe you can soon. But yeah, it's point taken, but let's just, for the sake of this argument, just say for that... For the sake of the time, we're, out of, we're running out of gadgets. <laughs> the, yeah, we're truly uh, experts at this, professionals. We should fire our producer, now that you mention it. For the sake of the argument, language as we know it, human language, human language is deeply tied to this awakening of the I and the ego. The realization that, oh wait, I'm a separate entity and there's this stream inside my head that, am I the only one here? Oh, that's just me. So those two things are deeply tied. Now, if I try to take this process of language and try to apply it even to my dreams, I wake up and I want to tell you about a dream. I can never be faithful to the dream because the dream itself is in a separate realm. But I'm trying to apply a process that works here in this realm to explain how th to make sense of things. And I'm trying to overlay it on top of something that just doesn't really make sense in that way, right? It so doesn't do not believe shrink. in deriving meaning out of dreams? No, what? No, that's not what I said. That's because in order to derive meaning, there is an element of comparison. It has to mean something in so, this world. So I, when I'm, no? what I'm saying is that when I'm overlaying language on top of my dreams, I am taking something away from the dream. It's still necessary because I even need the language to process my dream afterwards and try to figure out what it means to me. I need it. It's not just to relate to you. It's even for the dream to be analyzed by me. I need to have language to articulate it. But I understand that in my attempt to articulate it, I'm losing something. I don't know what... There's an essence of it that I can't capture with words. So in that way, words are, are a corrupting entity. It's a necessary corruption for me to even try to analyze and try to grasp and try to understand and make sense of things. But you have to understand that the processes that came in the aftermath of that singularity that you're describing don't quite apply to the before. At least but, it's but not a one-to-one. -one. Is, it, is it a cheapened version in the sense that, yes, as far as the development of language has gotten us today, because you can imagine the conscious form, a more conscious form of communication, the language that comes consciously in the where it's where body language exists it's where the communication through pheromones exists like how ants have a very highly sophisticated and effective form of communication that is completely conscious it's not sentient maybe not maybe that's not true but the language of ants is highly sophisticated is it not these generals directing soldiers and yeah, yeah but I, it's, I, it's a chemical signal it is a chemical signal, but the chemical signal, not all chemical signals are created. There's a chemical signal of you need to do this, specifically. There's a chemical signal of war. There's a chemical signal of peace. There's a chemical signal of surrender. 
Yeah, but... Like, but it's even more sophisticated than that. There's It's down to the sophistication of a command. There's a chemical signal for a specific command. And then there's chemical signals for very specific commands that you you might as well get down to sentences and and, and letters. But but it's almost... I don't know if that's, that's the right analogy, but it reminds me a bit of the geomapped problem of, of self-driving, where it's... You're right, it can be sophisticated, but... It has predetermined, it has a map, there's a map somewhere that they have where it's, okay, this is this, this means I need help. This means, even if you're, like, think of it as teaching a child sign language before they're able to speak. Some parents do that. They go the route of, like, help or more, I don't know, I, I know nothing about sign language, I probably butchered that, but, okay, what do I need to teach my child before he's able to speak? very specific things like you have to do a one-to-one and create a dictionary and then go from there but it's it's an exhaustive list in a way of even you look at monkeys communicating it's an exhaustive list whereas with the sophistication of the human language there is a freedom to it that doesn't exist and it's not just an attribute of language it's the attribute of a language that was created by a human mind it's not about the language itself. The language. Is this is the language of thinking. It is the a language, language of thinking. It's the language of sentience. So everything you talked about is a primitive version of the language of sentience. So there is the, the the way primates communicate audibly through sign language, through sounds, is a sentient form of communication. It's not the same as the communication that is pheromonal of an ant. That is feel. It's not think. It's feel. So there is a form of communication that, in theory, through our complex consciousness, if we tune into it, mm. is there. What I'm saying is the, 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 the comfort of the language of sentience that it brings us, is it not also dooming us from being able to communicate, for lack of a better word, telepathically, if you will? It, it's, it yes. doesn't allow us to work to, to hone the conscious element of communication. It ants also doesn't allow us to hone. don't have a choice. You're going to make a joke? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to make a joke. What <laughs> you just say? It also doesn't allow us to hone what? And can you pretend I made it and just laugh then? <laughs> I was going to say that the complexity of, of our language doesn't allow us to hone in on the introduction introduction of you those because you take too we take too many tangents and that's the part that actually the freedom that i'm talking about about one thing leading to another where it's that's not really how it works with think of the what you would consider a conversation so you have a communication mechanism where it's hey there's a predator outside to go the ant that is the head that blocks the door (laughs) yeah go block the door it's okay done. I'm not even going to say, okay, I'm just going to go block the door. It's not a conversation. There isn't a back and forth. What? It's not a conversation. There isn't, but, it's but like, is I'm it. not it's even, like how do you said, build I'm on not it. even going to say, okay, I'm just going to go block the door. No, there is no, there's no command to say, okay, too, either. It's not like, hey, go block the door exists, but okay, doesn't. None of that exists. No, but it's right? a bit it's of just, an, okay, if I were to translate. A chemical signal. Okay, listen, if I were to translate, uh, subtitle this thing, somebody would be saying hey go block the door if somebody is going to be saying and if you're translating then okay must exist as well why are you translating the commander and not the soldier 
Because the soldier, it's not like he had a choice of. He's you an know X-ray. what? You shut the fuck up. You know what? I just. You don't have any. Lines. I'm just gonna finish my dinner. I could see that guy, the guy doing a thing about it. Can I just finish my dinner first? <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, like. You gotta post that now. <laughs> The tangents are beautiful in their own way, and, and it's, you know, you should fear off, but you are going away, you are deviating, and there is a, there is error to it, but I want to bring all this all the way back to ego and sentience and Satan being the enemy of Adam, as it may be, and if we bring about the doom that is accompanied by that moment, that human singularity call it. There's a mm. doom that comes with it. Mm. Because he is in a way as as necessary ascensions is as a variable in life and the evolutionary as formula, inevitable as it is. As necessary as ego is, as data processing, as tilling, kufun is there is an inevitability of it waking up and the brutalaires fooling you and it becoming your master. And in that sense it's enemy. It's enemy only if it is at a point in time you let where it it's in the driver's you. seat. And you, having a variable of independence, a variable of free will, your variable of free will has a weight, carries weight and responsibility to not allow for this relationship. If ego isn't master, if devil isn't in the driver's seat, if Satan isn't in the driver's seat, it's a tool for us. It's Adam. useful. It's useful. When you annihilate the devil, going back to Rumi, you a devil is an angel. It just needs to be annihilated. It is only when the devil is annihilated, it becomes an angel. And all angels are like that. Yeah, and, and it also matches with even the Abrahamic depictions of the tree. Of the tree having roots in hell. The tree that is in the Garden the of Eden. Adobe, tree of being having roots in hell and even when we talk about we talk about the cursed tree having roots in hell and so, but again go back also or go back or go eastward to this and hindus depictions as well where we talk about chaos and order we talk about the the yin and the yang and how it's just part of it there's it's just in order there is chaos and in chaos there is order and how these things are just they have to exist together it's a holistic approach and so the seed is there like that demonic seed is in every angel it's in every human it's in every psyche that's definitely a part of us that's the dilemma of why is there evil in the world why is there cruelty in the world if there is a god and you have to understand it before you get to even asking a question like things that are always asked like what is the meaning of life or how, how what defines how I should live that's my life that's episode 2 we're gonna and, tackle and well, we'll give you the answer to what this yeah, means yeah. I'm an expert to in the meaning of life <laughs> being you cannot launch it from a point of I don't understand what is happening the necessity of myths in general, but even starting with Adam and Eve and the story of Adam and Eve and Satan whispering the inevitability with the design. Mm -hmm. We have to recognize that, that it's inevitable for Satan to want to be master, 
it's inevitable for you to and, and him taking you upwards towards Pharaoh towards I am the most important thing I think what's in it for me every thought is I it's about me what's in it for me you think and the higher you go you feel better and better it's skewed it's, it's even it's a, it's a 180 what you think is up is down what you think is good is bad and you need to understand that relationship in order for you to start defining what it means to go towards the unveiled what it means for you to change the story to start with the recognizing this war getting rid and you being in the driver's seat to paint your story and have your variable be yours and maybe going through a world where you're always failed satan is always master you're always awake sentient aware of everything from the moment you wake up to the moment to sleep and perhaps sleep is not excluded fully from this conversation it, you, it it's it's the, the, the buddhist mindset and the eastern philosophy of existence and suffering mm. has to be taken into account here no matter how good you feel like you have it it's a form of suffering this existence the, the actual experience in every moment being a part it's not torturous necessarily there's a torturous being aspect in the now being in the everywhere but now is the problem i mean you're constantly vulnerable to the threat of loss you have to think of no matter how good i have it and nobody is going through life thinking oh they have it great from what you hear everybody has it shit but even if you were to be in a place where god this is going pretty well for me and an instant it can all be gone you get a phone call that send shivers down the spine for the rest of your life telling you you've just lost everything and just we're all vulnerable to that we're all prey to that we talk about the amygdala thing of these things are more they just come up to me and it's oh my god what if my phone rings and it's like the end of the world and it's just i wake up in the middle of the night and i i have i have thoughts like that now i'm like what if something happens to my baby it's like, oh my god the struggle is real but going back to what it what it takes when you're in that sort of rise. you know rise towards pharaoh it starts with the humility that you could be fooled the problem is we are so arrogant we believe that everybody else can be fooled but we cannot and that's part of the greatest trick it's just like, yeah i could fool lesser people just like the myths and the religions and those stories fooled people before me but clearly i'm much much more i'm much smarter more what's the word i'm looking for uh, i don't know discerning maybe more anyway i'm much smarter in general and they wouldn't fool me i would know if i were under the influence of this entity rather than this i entity. would know i would know i would know i would know and if you're still within that same framework it's like einstein saying that you can't solve the problem from the same mindset that created the problem you're still in the same mindset and you're pretending to have solved the problem but it's, it's nice to have that to shift the perspective of i would know as in i i would know or i give a character a name i 
almost like the Odysseus story of nobody. Give by a Nobody, the monster, runs into him. And he tells him, my name is Nobody. Is that in the Iliad? I think of the Odyssey. I think it's in Odysseus. Dude, that makes so much sense. And it's like a Cyclops one-eyed monster. And he tells him, my name is Nobody. He tells the monster. Okay. That when he spears his eye, you gotta get the story, but he spears his eye. And the monsters in agony, and they're asking, what's... Man, who did this? What's going on? He said, nobody did this to me. Yeah. Nobody. And to reframe the perspective of I as a third entity, as a third person, I would know. Okay? I is not you. It's some entity. I would know. And you have trusted that I so much. Of course I would know. Everything I, I says is taken on. for granted. Maybe I knows, but it's not... It's once... Food. It telling you. So it's highly convincing and it's telling you I know. But maybe I doesn't know. Yeah, and, and all I knows how to do, all Satan knows how to do is tilling, is tempting, covering up. Is sin. It's, it's, it's covering up. That's the main it wants, thing. Right? It wants to remain relevant. Because if what, what you're asking, what you're asking sentience to do, what you're asking I to do, is to disappear and dissolve. If you're asking I to eliminate from the mouth, to eliminate itself, like you can't it's, do that. you're asking I, you're asking a Pharaoh and Satan to take the passenger seat. Mm. You, it plays out to, with to us. relinquish power. You can Nobody wants to relinquish power. Yeah, you can imagine so. Pharaoh having the, the the idea of Satan relinquishing power is as likely as the idea of Pharaoh relinquishing power. And we may bring it up even now to the existing superpower. And there's another superpower that is rising. The idea that the existing superpower is just going to allow yeah, it's their another turn now. superpower it's just their turn to now. rise it makes sense. and take over. And it's it worked it. that way. Okay, power is an addictive way. entity. You have to think of these things as just... If you're, the more you have it, the more hungry for it you are. You're never satiated. That's the whole problem of desire in general, is that the more you get, the more you want. And we don't, we shouldn't fall into this idea of enemy. Oh, it wants, it's out there to get you. No, yeah. it just is what it is. Like Aries dropping. But an apple. enemy is something that can turn on you in a way. There is a. Like. Yeah, but it's not, he's not turning on you because he doesn't. It's just, he does what he does. But it's a good metaphor. The fable like, of the scorpion the, and the frog. And then this. The enemy is a good metaphor. It's not quite exactly what it is because it never is but it's a good metaphor because because you have to stay on your guards i didn't just okay i did not make that metaphor but yeah it's it works because you have to be on your guard and that's another very deep and widespread idea that there is this temptress or this tempter there's a part in the dhammapada in the buddhist text that in one of the Buddhist texts that specifically talks about Mara, the temptress, and talks about building a fortress to guard against her. There's this entity that you must protect yourself from. And in that way, it is an enemy. It is an invading enemy. It's not just an enemy. It's an invading enemy. It's an enemy who's always looking for a way in. And the problem with a little way in is that it gets bigger and bigger 
until you just can't do anything about it. This process of separation, let's just hone in on this, where we have to have the humility to accept that we can be fooled by the voice inside our heads. That the voice inside our heads is creating a narrative that is enslaving us and that there is more to who we are than that voice. And that process of separating the I from the non-I with all the complexities that we can't get into now about what that entity is. But there is something outside of that narrative. There is a way of being that isn't inside your head talking to yourself. And it's quite a process. That divorce, that separation, takes a very long time to set in. It is a dissolution into nothing. From something. And there is either something or there is nothing. And so you think of the, the moment of enlightenment. Buddha reaching nirvana. He's reaching a point of complete dissolve. He has broken from the shackles of Mara. And you've reached the highest level of heaven. But this moment of nothingness, you've completely dissolved yourself from this material world. And this moment of nothingness, people always, and even in the Buddhist philosophy, like this idea of resurrection, you're always brought back, back, back into suffering. And the objective, the greatest victory, is to actually escape this game of life as recurring. You are like Super Mario with unlimited lives. And your objective is to not come back. That's the great victory. And that's what you need to do. But this idea that, oh, you, you, you dissolve into nothing. Perhaps you do. But nothing doesn't really mean nothing in the way we mean. It is the absence of something. Yes, something as in all the somethings that we know. Anything. It's not this. It could be something else. We just don't know what that is. And we don't claim to know what it is. But I'd like to venture in there. I'd like to start a journey of venturing into this nothingness. Why does Buddha speak highly of this point of nirvana? It must be highly rewarding. I don't know what it is. I don't know what the heavens are. And you have versions of perhaps straw man versions because they try to find the words. And some versions are better than others. And humans love to speculate. And us, an entity like Kudos, does not go against the grain of speculation and imagination. It's an exercise in imagination we want to incentivize. This idea of speculation of what zero may or may not be. But we also want to highlight the fact that we are beginning this curiosity of what this something else is. Can that something else be? Yeah, and I would also like to relate it to, okay, it's all fine and dandy and entertaining, but what does it actually mean for my life? What are we doing? What? How do I enact these, like we talk about the separation or dissolution or this coming to a realization, this being completely overtaken with, with awe, like completely just feeling very tiny in the grand scheme of things and being overtaken by that grand scheme of things and melting into the grand scheme of things where you're so beautifully insignificant. It's not just that you disappear, but it's just the most beautiful thing 
when you disappear and the fact that we hang on to dear life for relevance all the time is just our, our greatest demise in a way because we want to be relevant we want to be to matter we want to be in the grand scheme of things it's a highlight it's a highlight of this one one and zero it, the first time i felt it i don't know if you share that experience when i tripped when we tripped together for the first time mm. up north, there was a feeling of how it's like you're both significant and insignificant simultaneously mm. how it's like you get this feeling how insignificant you are and there's even an element of sadness to it but it's so beautiful it's so beautiful you, you, you are the tears of joy do have an element of sadness to it but the, the you get to the, the trip made me aware of the, these binaries that are that together are beautiful the, the, the true element of significance and insignificance you are significant and you are special but it's also true that you are insignificant and you're not that special and stepping aside and seeing those two distinguished with clarity mm. and the foundational element of the unity of the insignificance like I am special and I am beautiful and I am significant but it's coming from this whole that is so beautiful that makes me feel so small to make sense of the two is hard it does shed some light and it sparked a curiosity that moment it's a glimpse that sparked a curiosity and you always try to explain it but it will always cheapen naturally you bastardize it and that feeling that is attainable with an absence of sentience i think the reward has to come from this feeling of joy that is hard to explain but i'm counting on on, on there to be a, a reward i'm counting on the amount of effort that it must have taken an entity like Buddha to reach nirvana let go to let go to let go, you think is easy, but it's the hardest. Nobody does it. Yeah. Nobody, Nobody can possibly do it. Nobody thinks it's easy, but you. What's easy is to hold on. To hold on is more strenuous. So you think, you would think, yeah. it's easier to let go, but it's but so But it, it's just more. So it's more wired. Like this is more deeply wired than this, and that makes all the difference. Again, going back to the constraints of our, the constraints of our evolution and our biology. Like we are physical beings in the world where it's, yeah, this experience of nirvana is great, but I better not be eaten by a lion while I'm meditating under a tree. So it's, you, you really have to survive long enough as a seed to be able to reach a certain level of consciousness. If you give me that deal right now, maybe I'll take it. Which deal? A deal of I reach nirvana and then 10 seconds later I am eaten by a lion. Because what's 10 seconds? I don't know. Ten if, seconds to who? If you're in Nirvana, there's no time. And if you're in Nirvana, the hereafter is probably if you reach the here and then you're dead. You, you go back to that checkpoint. It's like maybe, yeah, maybe <laughs> you know, your checkpoint. You're just, you got it. Checkpoint. That's that's but that there's truth to that. That you end up where like at the highest level that you reached. At before. The highest level of escape. Not the highest escape, level of escape. Really exactly. So I don't know if I wouldn't take that deal. If I'm brave enough to take that deal. Yeah, but you but need the species to survive long enough for the 0.0000001% of them to reach that place. Because, again, we can count them on a, maybe a f- fingers a handful, of one hand. A maybe it, not, but yeah. Maybe it's not, relatively, but, it's a handful. But you know that it's not most people. Yeah. It's not even a 
you know that it's not anybody you've encountered even with all but the people. It must be for the amount for the struggle that it is. The reward must be worth it. Yeah. It must be worth it. And it and it's almost how could nothing be better than something? Like why is the devil very easy to why is it very easy for the devil to fool you? Because it's very easy for the devil to convince you of what they're tempting you with is better than not. The donut the is always more tempting than the broccoli or the carrot. It's always no, I meant the dangling of the carrot, which was the prize no, here, sure. but donut but ruined it. It's yeah. always when the devil tempts man, son of man, Jesus, however, you, whatever character you want to put on here between Satan and Adam, when the devil tempts, the devil is tempting you with what, at a glance, seems to be the better option. Uh, the most but attractive it never to you. Is. It's yeah. never the better. The option of any gate of Havel, whether it's coming through gluttony or wrath or need I say lust and the attract the temptation that comes from lust. But we can rest assured in understanding this relationship that there is an element of fair share of enjoyment in this material world coming in the form of gluttony, in the form of lust, in the form of even sloth, there is a time and place, there is a fair share, but your job is to make sure that you are in control. You don't become enslaved to you it. You don't become enslaved and give in to every single form of temptation. Every single time you're tempted to go for the donut, you go for it. This is a life of hell. This is a life where your master is your enemy. Yeah, and we want to relate these things to dopamine spikes, for instance, the idea of temptation and how it manifests physiologically and how these things enslave us because they are so addictive because they're hijacking our reward centers again those things they seem abstract when we talk about them but there is a real groundedness a real physicality to these processes that we're talking about where that that dangling carrot in front of me that's that's dopamine telling me to go grab it because it's going to be the best it's going to blow my mind it's going to be the best thing i'll ever do and nothing else matters oh this i was harmful i'm gonna hurt somebody nothing else matters when the carrot is shining in front of you and it's like you become completely blinded to all the consequences the problem with this example now it's not a problem so because the carrot it's your sucks fault. no yeah. because i put the carrot in yeah, the righteous yeah, yeah. choice versus a donut okay and now you're talking about satan dangling so completely let's, okay let's just and delete all the <laughs> past couple of months but yeah, let's forget about you <laughs> just like ego we mentioned that it was at some point necessary and it still is it still is a necessary companion and we want to be careful with associating ego with being your enemy it's only your enemy it's mastering the choice of dopamine back when our ancestors when my great great grandfather the monkey saw a mango up on a tree saw food a source of food and it gets a dopamine spike and then you climb up and it, the dopamine as you get closer inches up and up to meet you to serve your need to eat but now when donuts are abundant and they're passing and, and they're at your grasp seeing the donut is giving you a dopamine rush that isn't tied to survival anymore it is tied with an entity always wanting you to take that dopamine surge so it can remain relevant it can collapse you into this material world
dopamine and dopamine is not your enemy satan is not your enemy enjoy your fair share and maybe that translates into for us it's it's an entity of i'm going to enjoy my meal but i eat once a day mm. type of deal well, i'm fasting restraints. and i'm eating i eat and i'm going to deserve it and i'm going to enjoy what it. are the boundaries of your fortress yep. what are the boundaries of your fortress if we go with the principle that Okay, let's call them sins to stay with our biblical theme here. But if we go with it's a slippery slope, that's by definition what actually makes it a sin is that it opens a floodgate. Every sin is a slippery slope so that we know that we cannot help but engage in some level of sin as human as humans as humans who are just have desires and needs, right? Uh, but your responsibility is to know what you're going to do to contain that sin within a reasonable pool where you just cannot there are red lines that just cannot be crossed what are your red lines what are you doing on a daily basis to to observe them and to reinforce them because these things in maintenance you need to keep maintaining your fortress i like the idea of sin continuing to be called sin because you know that you you are you have your fair share of sin but i like the idea of woman the sense of the more you give away you think that will be transcribed right whisper does i can transcribe yeah, right? whisper in arabic as like 96 languages but there is a an element of you give if you if my fair share to to oversimplify it is a daily value caloric intake of 3000 calories right it's better to do 1800 it's better for you to give out to give less if you earn it's the most oversimplification simplification of a material world is money a monetized world if you earn this much and you give out 20% to charity let's say that's good maybe that's you your fair share is 80% of the wealth you generate maybe it's 90% maybe it's even 100 but if you give 10% and that's how you define as a tip or a tax or a charitable contribution 10% of your money or 10% of your time if you give 20% of your money or your time it's better if you give 10 if you live off of 10% of what you earn you're better off and in that way we understand but you define your own fair share and you going to it to a structure what will segue you to as long as you understand you have a goal that you define you're in the driver's seat of your goal of towards well-being through when we introduce the structure health wealth and, and connection if you, if you are driving towards your future self if satan isn't in the driver's seat isn't your master if you're put yourself in the driver's seat how would you define fair share what do you look for what do you go and you don't deviate from it. you deviate with your fair share your fair shares are slowing you, you have your you have your range to deviate yeah. but you don't deviate past that right? you should give yourself guilty pleasures you should give yourself your fair share of sloth when you should you, not, you shouldn't binge watch netflix every freaking day but you should give you should yourself watch an episode of house you every day yourself, maybe maybe your fair share is an hour of a netflix show a day with your partner maybe it's an hour a week depending on how busy you are you define maybe it's a donut a week maybe it's a donut a day and i'm not going to pretend to understand what your fair share is 
If you're burning 12,000 calories a day and you're highly active, maybe you deserve a donut a day. Mm -hmm. If you're more sedentary in your lifestyle, maybe you just deserve a donut a year. Trade off. I don't know. You define your fair share. And There's a small thing I'd like to read to you. It's so relevant to what you're saying. As irrigators guide water to their fields, as archers aim arrows, as carpenters carve wood, the wise shape their lives. And it really highlights the mastery, this action. When, you, when it comes to shaping your life, when it comes to setting up these boundaries and structuring your life, it's quite an art. And like every art, if you're going to master it, it's going to require a lot of practice. It's going to require a lot of determination, a lot of investment on your end to shape your life. And it starts with a question of, what, what, what do I want? What do I want to do? How do? What do I need to do? Maybe it starts with, what do I need to do, right? Where do I need to be? Sort of, like, we have to, to take on shaping our lives as an action, right? As an active effort, something that we have to... The sooner, the sooner we start, the better. We've been, we personally have been talking about these things a long time, and there's still a mess everywhere. They take a really long time. The discipline that is required by a master carpenter or a master archer who's sitting there 18 hours a day shooting targets. It's okay, we're going through life, we got shit to do, we got to work, I got... We're not actually spending enough time working on shaping our lives, working on structuring our lives. And that's part of what Yudos is trying to do, is trying to have us carve out time and space for us to think about what we want from life and how we need to structure them, how we need to structure it to protect ourselves from destruction, from the destruction of, of desire and the destruction of the slippery slopes we were talking about, and try to actually build something up, not just be stuck in the day-to-day -day routine of okay this is not going anywhere i'm just surviving every day but what is the culmination point of all my work is there any culmination should there be a culmination i, I believe there should be but that's a bit of wishful thinking that your life should amount to something and that there is something to aim to and, and look up to and try to get there even though we're never gonna really get there your ideals should always be a bit higher up than you. Agreed. And you almost have a responsibility to take hold and, and structure your life. Because if you think about going about your life without a budget, the financial budget, we talk about this all the time. You know, you have no idea. All of a sudden, it's almost... Some more money. It's 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 nuts when you quite nuts. don't think about it. You can't you can't trace it. Right? Like it's you like have no control over how your money is being spent. People end up living paycheck to paycheck because simply because they didn't put together. No matter budget. how much money they make, too. No matter how much money you make, and we've seen families that go from making no money, unemployed, and they're like always on the edge, we've and seen, now yeah. the uh, you know, there's a, there's a nice great source of income. <laughs> <laughs> there's a steady admirable source of income and they still can't make ends meet and it's simply because you don't budget and in the same sense you don't budget your life because perhaps your life is busy there are chunks of your life where you are not you've enslaved you're not in control we all have a nine to five that where i'm for eight to ten hours of my life they're gone some of us 13 
14 hours and you're left with four hours and even those you have a family even if you end up if you actually split your life if you have an hour left that you can actually take hold or 30 minutes or four hours or six hours or all day at least now you know now you can actually be okay wow i can squeeze 30 minutes what do, what should i do with these minutes? you can do a lot with it in 30 minutes if you read for 30 minutes that's pretty great if you read for 30 minutes three days a week that's pretty great if you exercise for 30 minutes three days a week that's pretty great if you organize yourself you actually have plenty of time remember we did the math of how many hours it was a ridiculous you'll amount find of out you'll find out that you'll give yourself time a decent time to sleep You'll give yourself a decent time to exercise, to do to, to, to prep your to food, meditate. to prep your food right. so that you're not eating like crap because you don't have time. You'll okay, find time. You'll find time. you find time for the things like organize your life so as to make time for the things that matter. What is optional and what isn't optional? Okay, I don't care how much time I have or not have. I'm still gonna brush my teeth before going to bed. I'm still gonna go to bed. It doesn't matter how much time I have or I don't have. There are things that are not optional. You don't opt out. I was going to say showering, but then I... <laughs> but yeah, it's, you don't opt out. This endeavor to shape your life, like we shouldn't be able to opt out of it because there is no more value added to not just to your future, but to your society as well. You know, to making you a great contributor, a better contributor to your... So, so the benefits are, of course, to yourself and your own life, to your family, to your community, to your society as a whole, right? It reverberates. But this idea of putting boundaries, of trying to find a trajectory for your life and try to figure out how it is that you want to spend your time in order to contribute to something bigger than yourself. It's not... Saying that it's life-changing is quite the understatement. Yeah, and I want to echo the point of the traditional going back to Adam and Eve and, and oh, Adam to come back to Adam and Eve and Adam and Eve there is a sense of freeing up your time by taking a step back and understanding that and in the spirit of okay I is not me and there is no I coming up with finding a partner where all the things you want to do you can split them now into 48 hours I have 24 hours in the day, but you also have 24 hours in the day. And I really don't want to have to be burdened with my 9 to 5 and with meal prep. And with, because sometimes if you're doing it on your own and you're a single mother, let's say, and you're working a 9 to 5, not to mention that in a lot of times you need two jobs, but if you're working a 9 to 5 and you have to think about food and you have to think about, it's, even if you're financially healthy, it's a burden. It's a burden on time. You don't have time. And energy. And we need to be able to. And energy. And we need to be able to split. That. Like, okay, if I now that I have a partner, I don't have, or you don't have to worry about the, you know, the, which, More the, the, the role, the role that is, okay. There's there has to be a role of this matryoshka, this family, this entity that is us, is bringing in an income, is bringing in money. Okay, let me handle that. All right, eating. Okay, maybe you handle that. Mm. Mowing the lawn, maybe you handle that. Right? I'm mowing the lawn. It doesn't matter who's doing what, but you act you effectively the thing all the things you need to do are now split into a forty eight hour time. And it frees up my time and it frees up your time to do a lot of the things that 
you want to do. So this is great if because you have a job, this is at the basis cooking, of. Or if I have a job and I'm cooking and I'm mowing the lawn, and I, I don't care how many, how much I structure my life, I'm not going to be left with a lot of time. Okay, let me take these 80 hours every two weeks or 40 hour weeks. I'm I'm gonna give 40 hours of my week to the income. You give 40 hours a week to other things you wanna do. Okay, I'll give 60 hours a week to the family. 40 hours in that week is just generating income. I have 20 hours that I can do mowing the lawns, fixing the doorknob if we want to go as, as traditional as we want to do. But paying bills, investing, that should all be in the, that window. And I'm awake 96 hours if I'm sleeping 8 hours a week. I'm awake 96 hours. Okay, I still have 36 hours. What can I do in these two? Of me time, I can do whatever I want. I deserve it. I've given 60 hours to this family. 36 hours? I want to, that's that doesn't include time. That's free time. That doesn't include sleeping. Mm. I'm sleeping eight hours a day. Yeah, and we could deep dive that a bit more because there is a. I think it's a bit of a strawman to to just say that the limiting factor is time. A lot of times, the limiting factor is energy. So that especially if we spend a lot of time doing things that we don't want to do or that we don't embrace, it drains our energy. And so that. Yeah, I have eight hours when I come from work, but work is so draining that I can't have a productive hour after that. By the time I come home and I make dinner and we sit and eat and I'm just dead. All I want to do is shut off this or some cheap entertainment. I haven't found a way to be productive after Sloth that. Sloth so. in that moment is highly tempting. So, At the end of the day, the, the reason why we start with the recognition of this relationship between Satan and Adam and the Eve, you start with the understanding that when those moments come, it's highly attractive, yeah. Choosing to let go is quite the struggle, and especially at first. But let's not sugarcoat this. Mm. If you want to put some ladders on your structure of good habits and routines that you want to incorporate into your life, rest assured, you're going to be fighting a non-habit of something that is highly attractive, no matter where you're starting from. And I'm not suggesting that you take 36 hours of free time now that you realize, now that you're drawing your life. You realize, I'm not suggesting that you fill them with good routines. Don't take one matter. Any time. On a weekend, on a weekday, after work, before work, after dinner. Two minutes, it doesn't matter. It's like. But it's going to be a struggle. And maybe it's ill advised. It's all a struggle anyway. Maybe it's ill advised for you if you're starting off to choose to 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 post a ladder at a time where the temptation of sloth is very high. After dinner, after work. Maybe it's it's ill advised. I don't know if we want to get into the element of dictating of when. And uh, this whole thing is a guideline and it's a suggestion. Yeah, but but I think that it's going to be to a point where. To wrap up, because I am really tired, I feel like you're looking at me and I'm so exhausted, it shows that life is a struggle, existence is suffering, it's always going to be a struggle, whether you do this or you don't do this, it's a struggle, it's just a different type of struggle, right? There is the, the struggle of an orderly life. There's all the restraints that you put yourself, all the restraints that you put on your life and all of the rules that you commit to following. And there is a struggle in meeting those standards and meeting the, living by those principles. And then there is a struggle of doing nothing and living in complete chaos. There are different types of struggle. The point is that 
struggle is part of the formula but doing and there is a way of yeah that's right the, because that is sloth what you're right. talking about doing. yeah there but is, i'm there saying is a that either way like meditation it's a, and doing nothing it's like me sloth. coming home and be like screw this i've been working and i have to i'm so tired and shujane and corn thing is just because i'm gonna sit on my ass and do nothing doesn't make it less of a struggle than the getting up and doing something just a different thing yeah. but it's a struggle regardless we're not talking about escaping struggle we're not talking about an easy life an easy life is not the no, option not easy the easy path in fact is that donut dangling the easy path is always the thing that's the easiest thing to do is just the more attractive the easy sit down i'm gonna bring you a donut you don't even have to i'll bring it to you don't worry about it i'm glad you brought that up Oh my God! It's, no. It's, <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I, we, we have to mention that and, and just clarify so. that. What we're talking about is what we believe is the best outcome. Not that it's not going to be hard to do, and more importantly, not that we're doing it. We believe budgeting is better, but we know it's darn hard. We're, We've we're, been we're struggling with it. It's darn yeah. hard to budget financially. It's darn hard to budget your life and structure your life. We. Uh, what we're suggesting is that this, whether you do it or not, whether we do it or not, we're better off. We're better off with a structured life. Maybe it's more vanilla. Maybe it's more boring. But again, the broccoli is more boring than the donuts. It is what it is. We're not it's saying what don't you take need. the donuts. It's not what you want. It's what we're you not need. Say, we're not even saying don't take the donut. Do you want to take the donut? It is what it is. You want to live a life of temptation and with well, Satan You're going to have to live with the consequences. The consequences are the greatest the punishment or reward. We live with the consequences of our actions. We live with the sum of the broccolis and the sum of the donuts that we've eaten, the sum of the hours we've spent training and the sum of the hours we spent slouching on the couch. And that's just the reality of it. We have to live with it. We're rewarded and punished regardless of our choices. And it's up to us to gauge whether or not we're satisfied with not only where we are, but also where we're going, if there is any tra trajectory at all. But that's certainly, everybody has to do that, that thinking f for themselves. We're not here to tell people how to live because God knows I have no clue. But I'm striving to live by a code that not only pushes me forward and upward, but also allows me to acquire more depth as I go. And hopefully there is a formula to be extrapolated for that can be useful to other people as well. But I think that if you're in the process of even just thinking about those things, you're already way ahead of everybody. Nobody is thinking, nobody is trying, right? Okay. Trust me. You would think that, oh wait, how long ago did we start talking about these things? Shouldn't we be like kings of the world? I don't know what that... Yeah, it's, but it's hard. It's genuinely hard to implement these things. And it just takes a really long time to wisen up to the level that we need to escape temptation, to prioritize certain things over others. It's quite a... There are a lot of weeds to uproot things to clean up in your garden proverbially it's a lot of work the sooner we get started in general the better and any step is is good you don't start with i need to be right here it's, if you're right here what's the next little I step need, i'm gonna need you over i'm here. gonna need you right here 
It's what's the next little step? What can I do to just to, to be at least calibrated towards the right way? And we could talk about the right way and what that means in the subsequent. And I do think <laughs> it is a recognition of this relationship. And I'm glad we started there, right? If you have to recognize that there is even a problem. Most people go about their day that there isn't a problem. This is what it is. This is how things are going back to the story. It's, it's a good place to start and it's a decent dry run. And even the, it's a good place to stop. Even it's better a great, than a good place better, to start. We stopped. We're, we're in a better place than when we started. <laughs> Definitely.